Hope you're doing well this morning. Um, encouragement is that no matter how we're doing, that as we come here, uh, we can be encouraged from God and from His Word and from each other. Um, so I know some of you may be hurting or have had a difficult week, but praise God that we have Him and that we have each other. Um, so let's, uh, you can turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. And I'm going to go ahead and pray for our time together and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us. Uh, what we just spent much of this morning singing about, just the deep, deep love that you, Lord Jesus, you, Father, have for us. We give you thanks that your love is working in and through us and that you have ordained that not only would we be the recipients of your love, but that we would be enabled by your power through your spirit to take that love and then love each other the way that you've loved us, Lord. Help us to do that. That's what we're going to look at this morning in your word, Father. But we confess that we need your help, your enabling, in order to make that the reality of each one of our lives. Just pray that your spirit would move in our hearts and in this local body so that we might glorify you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, let's... uh, uh, we'll begin by just reading the passage. Uh, the title of the message is A Call to Love One Another. And we're looking at First John chapter 4 this morning. And read it with me. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Um, I believe... Well, no, I don't have it up there. Sorry. Yeah, yeah you'll have to look at your Bible. Um, beloved. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Uh, Milton is away this morning. He's speaking at a um, commencement service for Scott Anderson, who the Anderson family was with us for uh, a while here at Cornerstone. And he's taken the pastorate at another church in San Bernardino. And so Milton's preaching there. Uh, But I get the privilege of opening up God's word to you this morning. And uh, what I want to do is kind of piggyback off of some of the things that we've been doing, uh, that Milton's been doing in forgiveness. We've been taking several weeks on and off to look at the topic of forgiveness. And we've kind of seen it or framed it in a way that that this is a quality, this is a characteristic that we need to have inside of us as children of God, as those who are part of his body. That we are to be forgiving people, forgiving each other. Um, because we are sinful still, we're going to sin against each other inevitably. And one of the characteristics that is so important is the ability to forgive. Well, this morning I want to transition to another characteristic. Uh, What I would argue is one of the greatest, if not the greatest characteristic, that ought to be present inside of us as believers. And that is the quality or the characteristic of love. And specifically, love for each other, love for one another. In fact, there's a connection between forgiveness and these different qualities because there's multiple things that we want to put on. There's multiple things that we want to see um, 
describe us and characterize our lives. And we see this in Colossians chapter 3. I have it up there on the screen. Notice what Paul says. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, here's where Paul gets to the climax here, above all the things that I've told you to just put on that should, that should characterize you, above all that, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is what we're going to look at this morning because I believe love is the greatest characteristic that that really fuels, according to Paul here, fuels the others. It empowers the others. There is tremendous power in, in us loving one another, in being characterized as loving people and having that quality of love. Not only is it the greatest characteristic, but it's the greatest command and the greatest calling. Notice in Matthew 22, someone questions Jesus, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Of the law, or what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So not only is love to be the greatest characteristic, it's going to fuel forgiveness, it's going to fuel everything else in the Christian life, but it is our greatest calling. It was what we were made for to love God and to love one another. Well, not only is it the greatest characteristic and the greatest command or calling, but it is also the greatest thing that we ought to be pursuing. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And he says in chapter 14, verse 1, Pursue love. And what he has in mind is love for one another. Love inside of the body of Christ. And so this is our calling. This is what we're to be characterized by. This is what we're to be pursuing. And notice what John says in chapter, I mean, chapter 4, verse 7. He says, let us love one another. The whole passage is centered around this imperative, this command. Let us love one another. And so I want to just take the command for a second and just unpack it. There's two things. That what we're being called to do and, and to whom we're being called to do it. Uh, love. And just very quickly, I, want to, I have a definition in the notes there. Um, what we're talking about is agape love. In the Greek, there were several words to describe or characterize love. In English, we have one, love. Uh, but this kind of love that John is calling us to have for one another is a very specific kind of love. And this is a great definition, I think, that will help us understand the nuance of this type of love that John is calling us to. It's a consuming and committed passion for the well-being of other, others and the other person. It's a consuming and committed passion for the well-being of another person. And that's the kind of love that John is calling us to, this kind of agape love. This is what God has lavished on us. God from eternity past has, has, has had this burning, consuming and committed passion toward us and toward our well-being. And everything he's done from eternity past and all that he ordained and then even in the, un, the unpacking of all that in redemptive history has been him demonstrating that passion towards us. That love towards us. Agape love describes not only God's love, but it is to describe 
our love and the way that we relate to one another. Notice also that, and, and you won't see this necessarily in the English, it depends on what kind of translation you have, but what John is calling us to is, is a very high standard because he's not just calling us to occasionally do this, he's calling us to let this characterize our lives, to be continually loving one another. And that's why I've titled it that way, be continually loving one another. John, you could translate it also, keep on loving one another. This is describing a love that's sustained, ongoing, never-ending, committed, unrelenting, that never stops, and that, that just keeps on loving. And that's the kind of love that really is impossible, apart from being born again, apart from knowing God in relationship with Him. And it's kind of similar to the way we've been looking at forgiveness. The kind of forgiveness that God is calling us into is a forgiveness that keeps on forgiving no matter how many times, 70 times 7, just on over and over and over. And that ability to forgive or that ability to love only really comes as we're desperate and dependent upon the Lord. Well, that's the, excuse me, that's the love that he's describing. Notice who he's talking or how, who he wants us to love. He says one another. And I think in the context here, it's very clear that John is talking about believers. He's talking about us as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Jesus. But I don't think if you were to interview John, if you were to sit down with him and say, John, what do you mean by that? That he would exclude other people. Even Jesus in Matthew 5 said, uh, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same thing? To be able to love people who are very lovable, quote-unquote, that's not too hard. I think um, we have to consider the unbeliever, our enemies, our neighbors, people who are very different, perhaps, from us. But in the end, believer or unbeliever, this is, I think, the way we really need to understand what John is calling us to do. He's calling us to love with agape love, this ongoing, unrelenting love, the way that that God has loved us with a passion for the good of our brother or sister or whoever we're loving. But what we need to do when we think about who we're loving, we need to really see it in terms of sinners. I think what John has in mind is this one another, the one who is just like you, is is a sinner just like you. And what John is calling us to do is to love people, whether they know Christ or not, who are not perfect, who are not easy to love, who will sin against us, who have wronged us, who have committed hurts against us. That's what John, I think, has in mind. And he gives us some reasons why we ought to love. And I just want to quickly go into some of those. There's some blanks in your notes, and you can take... Uh, record these if you'd like. Uh, why I think it's so important. And I think if you look at the passage, verses 7 to 12, you'll see three reasons why we ought to love. We're going to go quickly through those because I want to spend the most of our time kind of on how. If we're going to love the way that God's calling us to love, the way that he's loved us, then we want to know how to do that. And I think John will go through the passage and, and give us the how-to. But re- very quickly, there's three reasons why we ought to love one another. Number one, and we see it in verses 7 and 8, because we're called to be like God, our Father. Notice what he says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God, is a child of God, and is knowing God in relationship with him. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. I think what John is saying here is that God is our Father, and if he is our Father, if we are one who has been born again and knows God, then we're to be like our dad. Our goal is to become like God. And, you know, we've been talking about, as we've looked at forgiveness, we've, we, there's been that statement that it's kind of an often quoted statement in the context of forgiveness that we're never more like God when we forgive. I would also assert that we're never more like God than when we're loving 
one another. Because, as we see in verse 8, God is love. God is, by his very nature and in his very essence, love and loving. And all that God does is a manifestation of his love for himself and toward us. And so we're never going to be more like God and like our Father than when we're loving each other. And that's one reason why we ought to do it. There's another, and that's in verses 9 through 11. Notice, in this, the love of God was manifested among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so in this way loved us, we also ought to love one another. And there's John explaining, kind of summarizing in those three verses with that last verse in verse 11, why the second reason. Because God has loved us. We ought to love each other because God has not just loved me, and that's why I ought to love you, because I've been a recipient of God's love, but because God has actually loved you. And if God is treating you that way, I, who am I to not love you in the same way that he is, has loved you. So when he says he's loved us, that's a compelling reason. Uh, and there's a third, because we get to manifest God's love to others. And this is seen in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If, um, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And we'll get to this a little bit more at the end, but just suffice it to say that we get the, the amazing privilege of manifesting the character and the nature of God when we're loving each other. As I'm loving you and you're loving me, we put on display to a watching world what God is like and what his love looks like. Um, and So these are, these are three reasons why we see them there. John lists them out for us. But he also, in the passage, is going to show us how to love. And before I get into how, let me just say this, that often when we think of a call to love, the command to love one another. I think we think about what we need to do and do and do and give and there's a sense of doing and giving and that's not wrong. Um, agape love does do. It does give. It does, in this passage, send an only begotten son into the world. It does action. But I would say that the, the, the place where I think we need to start um, is by understanding that to, if we're going to love the way that God has loved us, we have to be depending upon God. John is very clear here. Love is from God. You and I cannot manufacture, apart from God, the kind of love that John here is calling us to live out in, in, with, with regard to one another. It only comes from God. And so these ways that I'm going to give you are really ways in which we come to God. And we depend upon God to do the work that he needs to do. And it's, 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 it's beginning at that place where it's really beginning with a believing in God and all that he is and the ways that he's loved us and then a receiving from God of his love for us. We have to begin there, believing and receiving. Um, God is the source of love. God is love. And we'll, we'll begin to love one another when we come to God in desperation and ask God to do an amazing work. Well, let's start with the first key to how to love one another. And there's going to be three this morning. The first one is be born of God. And that's in your, there's a blank in the notes, number one. Be born of God or be born again. Be regenerated. Now, I'm assuming in a room this large that not everyone here, not all of you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There are some here probably this morning who do not know God, who haven't put their faith in Christ, who have not been born of God. Now, if you have been, don't tune me out. There's important things here for you to grasp that will enable you and empower you to love your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your coworker, your spouse, your children, 
But John starts here. He says, you must be born of God. You must be born again. And being born again implies two things. It implies regeneration and it implies conversion. Um, We see it in verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever is present tense continually loving the way that John is calling us to has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Has not been born of God, he could have said, because God is love. You see, the implication here is that we need to be born again. And regeneration, I just want to review this theology of this concept with you this morning. Regeneration is a beautiful picture of what God does. Regeneration is all about what God does. In fact, we play no part in it. It's a instantaneous, it's an instantaneous act of God in which he does three things. He makes us alive. He joins us to Christ and he makes us his child. And this is a beautiful, beautiful reality. And this is the only way that we can begin to love one another. Um, We see this in John. I'm going to quote a lot from John, whether it's his gospel or his epistles. Um, Notice from John uh, what what he has to say about this. He noticed in John chapter one, verse 12. But to all Jesus is talking about or John is talking about how Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. It says in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. It goes, John goes on in chapter 3 to say, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is spirit and is spiritually alive. In fact, in Ephesians and other passages like Colossians chapter 2, we hear that God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, spiritually flatlined, no heartbeat, no spiritual heartbeat. He made us alive together with Christ. And that's the picture of regeneration. It's this instantaneous act where God makes us spiritually alive in him. We're given a new nature and we're given a new heart that's, re- that's now reoriented towards God and Christ. And not only that, but we're united to Christ. We're tethered to him. It's that picture of Christ as the vine, us as the branch. We're now connected and brought into close relationship where, where Christ is in us and we are in Christ, indwelt by his spirit, now able, able for the very first time to love others. And if you don't know Christ this morning, you will not be able to love the way that, 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 that John is calling us to here. Not only that, but we're made his child. We're given a new identity to to be his, a new future, to be with him, a new purpose, to be like him, to become like he is. Well, it's regeneration, but it's also conversion. It's not only the where God is enabling us for the very first time to be able to love, but it's also where we're actually being converted. We're turning from sin and repentance and turning to Christ in faith. And we're believing into him. And this is important for us who already know, who already have experienced regeneration and conversion, that, that this conversion, this believing and repenting is never, it's not just something we do at one point in time and then kind of ditch it. No, faith is something we practice over and over again, daily, daily. God is strengthening and growing and developing our faith in him and in the gospel and in his son. And we, we know that in conversion, we come to believe the truth of the gospel. We come to believe that Jesus is the only Savior. We come to believe that we are sinners and that Jesus died for our sins. But notice that inside of that gospel is the love of God. And here's, here's my point with all of this. That to be, born of, to be born of God, to be born again is so crucial because of what we believe. 
It's crucial for two things, because it enables us to love, but because of what we believe and how we believe. And I'm, I'm telling you this morning that what you believe about God and his love in the gospel is so important to enable you to love. You cannot love unless you are growing in, in faith that believes that God loves you and, and that believes that God's love for you is the greatest of all love out there. And that, this is what John wants to get across. Notice in verse 7, he says, Beloved, four times in this epistle, John says, beloved, to refer to the readers. And I'm, I'm assuming John was including himself in that love. He says, I love you. You are loved by me. But I think there's no doubt that John had in his mind, guys, I'm writing to you who are loved by God. You are loved. Even, I mean, just this whole theme of love in John, he was, he was just totally forever ravished by the love of God and changed and we see this also in the way that he referred to himself in his gospel four times. The, uh, John refers himself as not the disciple who loved Jesus, but the disciple whom Jesus loved. And, and, and this is the way that, that in our conversion, because we have faith now, John is saying, look, you cannot love unless you're born again, enabled to love, but unless you are believing also through conversion in the love of God, you have to believe that you are beloved and there's great power in believing the love of God. Not only the love of God, but its greatness. Um, in John 15, 9, John begins to, uh, begins to unpack Jesus' words where Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. You are being loved and have been loved to the same degree that God, the triune God of the universe, forever has loved himself. That is amazing, that we would be loved in the same intensity, with the same kind of love that God has had forever for himself. And Jesus says that, he makes it very clear, the way that God, my Father, is loving me, that's the way I am loving and have loved you. And we have to believe this. Let me, exp- let me just keep on saying this, that if you don't understand and you don't believe that God's love is greatest, that it's better than any love you might be searching for or love for yourself, then you can never love your brother or sister or anybody else. You have to be freed from the prison of self-love or from pursuing other loves and rest in the fact that you are loved by God. And when you realize that, when you really believe that daily, that you are loved by God, it's totally, it totally frees you then to not worry about yourself. Because what keeps you imprisoned and unable to love other people is a love for self or a love for other things. And when you realize that God actually loves me more than I love myself, which is so true, then you're freed up to go and to love other people. You, you can come out from there, from this prison of self-love, and begin to love other people because you know God has your back. He is going to lavish and will continually be loving you more than anyone else or anything else could. In fact, John is, 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 is so consumed with this. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we would be called children of God and so we are. And just a few verses after our passage in verse 16, notice this. He says, and this is where there's power to love other people. You want to know how to love others? It begins by believing this. He says, he says, so we have come, verse 16, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And by this, John says, by knowing this, by knowing and believing the love and abiding in that love, by this, love is perfected with us. 
You see, this, this, just believing this, being converted, being born again and embracing these realities by faith and then being able and enabled by regeneration to, to love. When you're believing God's love for you, you're, you know it, you're, you're convinced of it, then God's love begins to flow through you and, and, and is perfected in you and your love toward other people. Well, that's the first it's the first thing. We need to be born again. And this morning, if you're not, you need to come talk to me after the service so that I can point you to the one who will and can save you. Um, and, and you need to begin to believe. And I think all of us who have been believers for a long time, we need to believe. We, need to, we can never stop believing the love that God has for us. And then enable that, allow that to free us up to now go love other people because we're totally taken care of by God. Well, John goes on and he says there's a second key to loving others and that is be knowing God present tense be knowing God and this is you may have this in your translation you may not but he says verse 7 let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and present tense is continually knowing God he goes on to say in verse 8 anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love and so there is this importance of knowing God. Now it's kind of a, a, of a general term. We have to kind of unpack what it looks like. What is knowing God? Well, number one, it's important. John says eternal life is that very thing. It's that, they, that we would know the only true God in Jesus Christ. So knowing is so important. Uh, and I would say it's not knowledge about God that we're talking about here. It implies knowing him in relationship I may know Obama, but I don't really know him. He does, certainly doesn't know me. Uh, there's no relationship there. So I may know things about my president. I may uh, think I know a little bit about him, but I don't really know him. There's no, there's no ongoing relationship there. Um, so there's some things that knowing God implies, and I've, I've listed them out in your notes, and we can you kind of jot them down. Um, Number one, from the passage, it, it indicates an ongoing reality. We are to be not just born again or born of God at one point in time, but we are to be continually knowing God. Um, and, and it also implies relationship, like we just mentioned. It implies intimate and growing relationship. There's this idea of abiding. And abiding is so close in the Bible. When we read about abiding, John 15 and other places, even John's uh, epistle, abiding and knowing God are so closely linked. It's this idea of staying very close and connected to Jesus, growing in communion, in relationship with Him, where you're hearing Him, you're talking to Him, He knows you, He's manifesting Himself to you. He's, and that's really, how, how else do we know God relationally unless He reveals Himself to us? You won't know me unless I begin to tell you things about me. And that comes in relationship. And so as we are close to Jesus, as we're connected to him, as we, according to John chapter 15, abide in him and abide in his love and abide in his word, that's how we'll know him and be in a place where we are knowing God daily. Also, I think knowing God kind of assumes this humble state of dependence. And we see this beautifully pictured in John 10. Listen to Jesus. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. He who enters the door is the shepherd. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know 
his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There's a beautiful picture. Just imagine ourselves as God's sheep, as God's precious possession, the one whom he tends to and cares for. There's There's this beautiful picture of humble dependence upon God. And knowing God really is that. It's, it's, it's in that passage. It's listening to God, hearing God. The sheep hear his voice and they trust him. They believe in him so that they follow him and obey him wherever he leads them. If we're to know God, we, we, we're going to be humble and, and dependent upon him. And there's another implication of knowing God and that's transformation. Throughout the scriptures, knowing God leads to becoming like him. As we know him, we're changed. John 15 says, as we abide in him, as we know him, we bear fruit. Um, John 17, the passage we just referenced a second ago, is eternal life is knowing God. Life that, that is forever comes out of having a relationship with God. So inside of this ongoing, intimate relationship that's where we're dependent upon God and we're being transformed by Him, that, if we position ourselves there in daily knowing God, that's the place from which we're going to be able to love people. If you disconnect yourself from God, if, you, if, you, if you're not connected to Him, if you're not growing with Him, if you're not dependent on Him, if you're not being changed by Him, then how, how are you going to love other people? And John is very clear about this. He says you've got to know Him. You've got to be knowing Him in relationship. There's a beautiful, uh, again, it's that vine picture and there's Jesus, the vine. It's just this solid, solid life-giving vine and, and connected to that are the branches And off those branches, fruit is being born as the love of God is flowing through us, as his word is going through us, as we in relationship with him are getting to know him, experiencing his character, experiencing all that he is, all that he's done for us. That's what enables and empowers us to love one another. The moment we separate from Christ that way, we shrivel and die. And so this is what, in fact, um, you know, there's that picture that we just read about that love is, is perfected and grown uh, through knowing him and abiding in him. We read that earlier. Verse 16. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And by this, love is perfected in us. So if we want to grow in loving one another, we have to abide in Jesus. We have to know him. We have to daily be knowing him. And that's John's second key. There's a last one. um, And that is, we need to be loving like God. John, in his epistle, in chapter 2, verse 6, says this. He says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. And that's what we want to do. We ultimately want to love the way that God has loved us. You know, if you, if you peruse the internet or TV or whatever, you're going to begin to see how the world or other people define love. What it looks like, how we do it, you know, what the standard is. But as believers, we have to look to God. We have to see him on display, the way we have to be students of, of the way that he's loved us and stare at that love and then embrace that example and follow in it in order, if we're going to love one another. So if I'm going to love my wife, if I'm going to love my children, if I'm going to love you, I have to follow in the footsteps and pattern my love after the way that God's loved us. And what John does with the rest of the passage is he begins to unpack what, what, how God loved us. And I want to just point out um, four ways that, that, that God does love us um, according to this passage. And we see it mostly in, chap- in verses 9 and 10. Notice with me. 
the first one. And I'll just go ahead and list them out here. They're there. Uh, number one, God's love is both inward and outward. God's love is both inward and outward. And we see this uh, in, in, in this. In, in, in chapters 9 and 10, we both see God manifesting. In verse 9, it says, this is, the love of God was manifested towards us, was put on display. It, it, it resulted in action God sent in sending his son. In, chapter, in verse 10 also, God sent his son. So we see the outward manifestation of God's love. And I think sometimes, again, we kind of jump to that place. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I affirm that agape love results in action. It results in fruit that is seen, that is manifested. God sent, we see God's love and him sending the son and the son dying for us. But, but before that, there's almost a there's distinction in verse 10. Look at verse 10. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. So there's this loving of us and then it results in this manifestation of that love in the sending of the son to us and the son dying on the cross for us. So there's this inward, this inward flowing from the heart, consuming, committed passion for the well-being of others. And I would submit to you that if all we're doing is just external things and calling that love, then we're missing the way that God has fully loved and a true agape love. It really is, and it begins with a consuming and committed passion for the well-being of others inside of our hearts here. And that's what we need to pray for. This is impossible apart from God. I need to, if, I, if, if I'm trying to love you and you are very unlovable... Uh, I, I, I'm not going to naturally have this consuming and committed passion for your well-being. But God, that's what God needs to work inside of me that then manifests itself in how I relate to you and what I do for you. And we see that in God. From all of eternity past, He's foreknown us, He's loved us even before we were here. And He's, he's set His love on us and then he manifested it throughout redemptive history and then ultimately and, and climactically at the cross. So it's inward and it's outward. B, it's great and it's purposeful. It's great and it's purposeful. And we see this mostly in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son. And that word only, monogene, denotes one of a kind, precious and unique. There's no one like Jesus and here's what we need to take from this. True agape love doesn't hold back the best. It doesn't just give a little bit. It doesn't just give enough where people are, are okay and, and we look good. It gives everything. It gives the best. And here's the Father giving away Jesus, his one-of-a-kind, unique, only Son. God the Son is sent by God the Father. And he's given to us. So... God's love is great and our love towards one another needs to be great. We cannot hold back. We need to give that way. But also notice, it's not just great, but it's purposeful. Love has an agenda. And the agenda of agape love is not what we can get for ourselves but what we can give for others and the good of others. That's what we're looking for is how we can give the greatest, uh, the greatest things for the greatest good for our brother and sister, whoever we're seeking to love. And notice this in verse 9. He sent his only son into the world. Why? Here's the purpose. So that we might live through him. Literally, that we might come into having life or begin living by means of the son. So here's, here's God the Father. He doesn't hold back. He gives the best thing he can give, his very own son. He gives himself away. And he gives it for the, the best purpose 
for our eternal spiritual good. So when we're loving each other, when we're admonishing each other or encouraging each other or uh, preaching the gospel to each other, whatever we're doing for one another, we have to be doing it for the, the greatest good of that person, the spiritual good of that person. That's the kind of love that we need to have that God here put on display for us at the cross. There's a, there's a third way that, that we see God's love described, and that's as unconditional and committed. It's both unconditional and committed. Notice in verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. See, we weren't loving God. We were sinners. We didn't love him. We didn't have a relationship with him. We wanted nothing to do with him. And despite that, God loves us. And this is what unconditional love is. It's, it's love regardless of the response and regardless of the person. Number one, the response. We're, to, we're called to love even when we're not going to be loved back. And this is very unnatural. Again, this is where we, God's love, we have to go back to John where he starts. Love is from God. This kind of love is from God. We, don't, we can't pull this off. It has to come in, into us and through us and toward the other person. And he says, you, you ha- this is the way God loved. He loved when he was never being loved in return. He, when, and when he was actively and repeatedly being sinned against. You and I were sinning against God nonstop before we ever loved him. And yet he was just relentless in his love for us. Committed in his love for us. And that's where we get to the... Com- oh, I'm sorry. Just real quick. Not just, not, not just regardless of the response, but regardless of the person. And this is, again, where we kind of limit our love and dumb down love. True agape love loves no matter what the other person is like. We tend to like and love people that are like us. And so if you share my beliefs uh, politically or you know, religiously, I, I can love you. If you don't, it's really hard for me to love you. In fact, I don't want to love you. I want to hate you. Uh, you know, different personalities. It, you know, there's just that annoying person that we all know about, whether it's at the office or here at church or wherever. It's just that annoying person that's very, very hard to love. And it's easy to love the lovable, the more lovable people, uh, the less unlovable people, I guess I should say, uh, and not love the very unlovable. We also, we're also tend to love people who are very much like us in terms of just ethnicity or culture or background. We, we, we tend to gravitate to those people who are like us, and we can love them easier. Jesus loved us even though we were very diverse, and we can see the diversity in the body of Christ and the, 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 the kinds of people he loved, rich, poor, you know, conservative, liberal, all these kinds of people God has loved. And we need to be like this. You cannot hold back your love from people who are not like you. You have to love both in the church and outside in the world those who are very different from you. That's unconditional love. But it's, there's committed love that Jesus puts on display. And that is really getting to the bottom line of about agape love. Agape love is a choice. It is a choice. And God has set his love on us. And we talked about that just a second ago. From eternity past. He made the decision. He says, I'm going to love you. I'm going to be consumed with a passion for your well-being and I'm going to do everything I do for your good and my glory and nothing's going to change that. Nothing's going to separate you from my love forever. And this is the kind of love that we need to have. And this is where it's really hard. Our love, we can withdraw it at any time. If, If someone gets us upset enough, we'll pull it away, we'll walk away, we'll leave, we'll do whatever. God's love doesn't quit, doesn't change its mind, it never ends. I love in John 13, John says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Jesus never stopped loving his disciples, even though they were totally clueless, botching it up, and he still loves us. Well, there's a last way that God manifests his love, and that's selflessly and sacrificially. I'm sorry. 
selflessly and sacrificially. And we see this in verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And here's where we see um, just the picture of selflessness and sacrifice. See, we, we might get good with that definition and be like, you know, what? I like that definition, a consuming and committed passion for the well-being of others. What selflessness and sacrificial love tack on to that definition is a consuming and committed passion for the well-being of others, even at the expense of myself. And that's where we don't want to go. We want to love. We want to have the well-being of other people as long as it doesn't cost us anything. But not only do we see the God, God the Father giving his best through his son and sending his son, we see God the Son giving the ultimate, his very own life. In, in, in chapter 3 of the epistle, John says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And that's what we see here in verse 10. He became the propitiation for our sins. Not only was he the priest propitiating God's wrath, covering God's wrath, but he became the lamb. He became the sacrifice that would ultimately satisfy the wrath of God. He sacrificed himself. And it's just a reminder that love does cost. It is costly. It costs our Savior everything, his very own life. It does hurt at times. And it requires death. It requires the death of Jesus. And to love the way that Jesus loves requires your death and it requires my death. And it requires that we would be willing to die. Let me give you an illustration. I hope this doesn't disturb you too much. But a couple... Of, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, hold on a second. Uh, a, couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we just noticed that the upstairs bathroom wasn't... Dra- uh, yeah, one of the sinks wasn't draining too well. So I got the Drano and I was going at it and after a while it just wasn't, nothing was, it wasn't happening. So I pulled the plunger out and I just started going at it with a coat hanger or whatever it was. Something, and we just started pulling out. It very much like the top left picture there. Yeah, just really gnarly. And don't think I'm the only one that has a bathroom like that. We'll go to your house, you know. Uh, but, um, but this is the picture that I want you to have in your mind. Being willing to die, being, no, hear me out for a second. Being willing to die is what we need to be willing to do is be willing to take up our cross and to allow the Father to kill us and to kill those parts of us inside of us that need to die so that we can love each other. We're a pipe and God, love is from God because God is love and love is designed to come toward us and into us. God has opened up the floodgates of his love and they're coming into the pipe. That's us. And the intent is that they would go through us and into the lives of other people. But unfortunately, the problem is sin. It's selfishness. It's a willingness to not sacrifice and love the way that Jesus loved. And what, is, what, is, what the problem is that there's all this gunk of selfishness and all this other junk that's clogging God's love from getting to where it needs to go, to you and to me. And what we need to allow God to do is put that to death, to, to scrape out those parts of us. To kill. We, we need, you know, some of us are just too comfortable with who we are. We're too happy about who we are. We need to hate ourselves a little bit more and, and say, God, kill this in me. Remove this gunk that is hindering your love from coming through me and into the lives of my brothers and sisters and, and, and the others that you're calling me to love. And so that's what we, we need to do. And Jesus was willing to sacrifice his life, be put to death. And it, we're, not, we're not obviously put to death in the, in, for the same way, in the same way that Jesus. We don't atone for anybody's sin. But what we do do is we die. And we die to those parts of us that need to die. The parts that, that, that we're to follow Christ in his pattern of death so that God the Father can, can strip us. So that's really what, what we see in John 15. 
We're connected to the vine and the father prunes those branches off. And that hurts sometimes. But what it results is, in is more fruit, more love, where our brothers and sisters are picking that fruit, tasting the love of God through us as it's coming through us, unhindered by sin. This is, this is what God's calling us to. Well, real quick, just wrapping up, verse 11 and 12. He says, Beloved, again, those of you who are loved by God, if God so loved us, if God in this way loved us, we also ought to love one another. And again, notice the loved us. He doesn't just say loved them or loved you. There's a dual thought here. He, God's loved you, and that's reason enough for you to love other people. But if God's loved your brother or your sister or that unlovable, annoying person, the way that he has, who are you not to love that person that way? How are you so much better than God that you ought not to love that way? Here's the God of the universe humbling himself, loving in this way, totally committed to the well-being of this person. John is saying, man, let's be motivated by the love of God. In fact, there really is no greater motivator. You, You try guilt for a while, try fear, try tradition, try duty. Good luck. It's not, you're not going to find yourself loving other people. But if you're motivated by the love of God, for your brother and sister, your, the, the love of God for you, that's the kind of motivation that leads to true love. And lastly, in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There's this, this, just this idea in John's mind. He saw Jesus, but not everybody has, no one has seen the Father. But when Jesus was on the earth, notice what John says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. When Jesus was on this earth, he was manifesting God's character, God's goodness, God's greatness. He was putting on display his Father, and obviously his own, because he is God, his, 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 these qualities and these characteristics. And this is the awesome privilege that you and I get to enter into. No one has seen God, but the way they're going to see God, the way a dying world is going to see God, is by you and me loving one another. John said in John 13 that um, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And there's just, you know, the, you want to know what the greatest way to preach, the, one of the greatest ways to preach the gospel is, is, is us loving each other. People will see that and they'll see God. Even though they haven't seen him, they will see him because they see someone loving them or they see two people loving each other. They see a, a Christian husband and wife loving each other. They, lo- they see the way you're loving your kids. They see the way that you're loving and honoring your boss in the way that Christ loved you. And that is an amazing picture. And it's an amazing privilege that God gives us to be that picture of love to those who have never seen God to then see him on display through us. It says, no one has ever seen God. If we, if, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Well, this, is, this is the way that we're going to grow in loving one another. None, none of this is easy. And again, like I said, you did, at the end of the day, you have to cry out to the Lord for help. You have to be born again. You have to be positioning yourself in a relationship where you're knowing him daily, believing in his love for you. You've got to be pursuing his example by his power, through his spirit. And that's the only way we're going to love each other. But this is our calling. This is the greatest calling. This is the greatest quality that needs to characterize us as Cornerstone and you as individuals and me. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. There's tremendous power here. And we want to be people who are like our Father. We want to be people who are manifesting the greatest quality of all love, who are fulfilling our greatest calling of all to love you and to love one another, who are pursuing the greatest purpose 
that of pursuing love toward each other. Lord, help us in this, Lord. Help us to do this. We confess we cannot do this. Love is from you, and we need it flowing into us as we abide in you and flowing unhindered into the lives of each other. Help us to both give love and receive that love. And as we receive love from our brothers and sisters, help us to see and just just marvel how good you are. Lord, I just pray that we would just take a moment, if we have thoughts, comments, that we would write those down on the comment card, Lord, that we would just... Um, if, if there's someone here, Lord, who does not know you, and I imagine there is, that you would move upon their heart to say, I need, I, I, I don't have this relationship with Christ, and I don't love people this way. I, I can love for moments here or there, but I, because I'm made in his image, but I cannot love the way that John's calling me to love. Lord, help us to, to just seek your face, to, to run to you, the one who can help us and enable us to love. We pray all this in your precious Son's name. Amen.